0: I'm Michael Dunn, and you're listening to Oregon Rainmakers on KLCC. My guest today is Craig Opperman, President and Chief Executive Officer of Looking Glass Community Services. Looking Glass's mission is to build a better future for youth, adults, and families. Craig Opperman, the President and CEO of Looking Glass Community Services, really appreciate you talking to us. I'm happy to be here, Michael. Yeah. Yeah. you just sort of take us through you know a tour of your career how did you get started and how did you uh you know ultimately become the president and ceo of looking glass
1: well so we're gonna go three or four hours and break for dinner is that right or uh, (laughs) maybe shorten it up for that I'll I'll try and hone it down a little bit, but okay. I, I'd have to most, most anybody that asks me that question I, I'd have to start with my with my family my parents my mm-hmm. parents were really my heroes and role models and mentors and um, and my father was a, originally a, a teacher taught math and science and then became a high school principal and then became deputy superintendent of the school district and so was always involved with with youth and kids and education and. My mom was the CEO of the household till my brother and sister and I all moved out. And then she went back and got her nursing degree and worked as a nurse for 17 years before she retired. So they kind of my my mentors and, and heroes were always in the helping professions, you know, hmm. working in education fields or healthcare fields and helping helping kids, helping families. Um, so that was, you know, they always showed me an example I, I hoped to somewhat live up to and tried to. So it always made me have kind of an affinity toward behavioral health and human services and social services um and so that led me to a a a college situation where i kind of went through a lot of different majors and iterations and um ended up with a philosophy degree and with a minor in psych and then a master's in counseling and, and agency management and um so that educationally and family wise was the background that led me eventually to where i am now before hmm. i came to eugene i was in moved from illinois i grew up in illinois and okay. moved to portland and worked at a an agency there for 23 years and then worked my way down here was honored to take the president and ceo of looking glass just about 20 be 20 years ago next spring wow um this coming spring uh, and it's it's been a, a, a wonderful experience. I, I wouldn't have had a lot of ups and downs, but I wouldn't trade anything for any of it. Um, it's been great. And I feel so honored and happy and lucky to be here in the role I'm in
0: now. Yeah. Boy, 20 years, you've seen the community grow a lot. But then I imagine, you know, you've seen the need for an organization like Looking Glass to grow a lot, too, haven't you?
1: Yes. That's actually what drew me to the job. I was working... Um, in social services, um, in outside of Portland, Lake Oswego area for an agency for a while, and then when this opportunity came up, I, I realized that there's the needs are growing everywhere, and Lane County and the community here had its own unique needs, and yet similar in many ways to everywhere else, locally and and nationwide. But the fact that there's a a lot of, of folks that can use some help along the way, and I really my kind of my beliefs are that everybody is really i think that everybody really is good and intrinsically good and we're all kind of in this battle together um, working our way through lives as best we can but sometimes people get off track or make some bad decisions or have some bad behaviors um, and there's a, a lot of bad luck sometimes that just causes people to have some things happen to them too and that it's good if people who are able to can lend a hand or help them and get them on track and get us all so we're being as healthy and happy as we possibly could be. And in terms of the needs, you're right. I mean, all around, all the time, we see different things happen or different causes spring up that that cause a child to get hurt or a family to have trouble, or people need some some help that may be out of the ordinary circumstances. And so I was really happy to join an organization that that's their mission, help, hope, and healing is kind of our tagline. Mm-hmm. And we really focus on on youth especially, but help all ages to um, get better along the path there as much as we can.
0: Sure. Obviously, in the work that you do and, and your team and and throughout your career, you're in a profession which obviously has a lot of great moments, a lot of a lot of you know, people who recover and 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 go on and 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 there's a lot of happy stories. But of course, the, the other side of that coin is: there's a lot of challenge. There's a lot of heartache. There's a lot of disappointment. There's a lot of, you know, sadness. Maybe even in in some 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 form or another, a, a form of hopelessness. How does how do you keep going? How do you sort of uh, not only um you know kind of level set with yourself, but as a leader, how do you keep your team you know going forward to do the mission?
1: Yeah, that's a very very good and big question. Uh, I tend to be optimistic. I'm I'm kind of eternally an optimist, and maybe sometimes to a fault. But I have a, a belief that a good outcome is ahead if we all figure out a way to get there, either I figure it out or somebody else does. And I also realize too, and and share this with teams and staff and people around me. You have to take care of yourself, and so you you mean you need to make sure that you're healthy and and as energized and and full of ability and as you can be in order to be good to those around you. Mm. So self-care is is very important. And one of the things that our agency does and luckily it's become a fairly common practice but we're we're really trauma informed and we realize that things happen to people and so it's not a matter of of looking at what's wrong with somebody when they experience trauma or problems but what has happened and then how can we look at, at what is next and what could, what's possible in terms of things being better or healing up that trauma. And so that's true for me individually. I mean, when I go through things, I need to figure out how I can take care of myself and move forward. And then definitely um, with the staff, we need to make sure that our staff is energized and we provide them a lot of support um, to take care of themselves. And then that's what our mission is with a lot of these very vulnerable and very traumatized customers and clients are that come to us.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. So
1: I think it's all, it's kind of personal and professional all at the same time. We really need to to help ourselves and then really focus on helping others when we've taken care of making sure we're energized to get there as best we can for them. Sure. And our our teams are pretty responsive. I've been impressed, you know, the sector, if you mentioned this, I've been in it for a little while now Mm -hmm. and the sector has grown a lot. And it used to be, there still is some of this, but it used to be, it was really problem identification, you know, and what's your diagnosis and and what's the matter. And I think we've really moved now to, you know, what what has happened um, and how have you come through what has happened to you? And what now is possible for us in terms of a better outcome or better future for moving through and moving ahead in a positive way or a healing way through what has happened to you
0: yeah yeah well we're going to get to give give you the opportunity to really kind of explain to us what looking glass does and 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 what your mission is but even before i get to that you know i, I wanted to ask you too in terms of like the team and you've been in in nonprofit management especially in 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 you know health and human services uh, you know have you been happy with people who are going into the profession obviously there's mythology around oh well nonprofit. you know it 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 doesn't pay as well as the private sector or there are other things but i mean in terms of being able to find the people that you need um you know how has that gone over the past couple of decades
1: yes that's that's a challenge also and i i'll have to tell you i don't like the term nonprofit okay uh, it actually I think the literal translation of it is from its origins are not for progress hmm. and of course that's that's a that's a terrible way to be titled sure uh, I accept it in terms of the fact that people can make donations and support as a way of you know uh, writing it off their taxes or having some benefit to that but really what we are and most of the nonprofit sector is uh, we're public benefit social service social benefit corporations mm-hmm. and we have to be very professional and very well run and that's kind of the evolution i've seen too it used to be in the past that uh, there was an an idea that nonprofits were these good-hearted people maybe they didn't know much about business um they just wanted to help mm-hmm. And that they're in there, you know, trying to help folks without sure what they're doing other than they have a good heart. Well, that's not the way the world or the business is anymore. And there's been a great professionalism through most of the the nonprofit sector. I'll keep using it, even though I don't like it. That's okay. <laughs> um, and, and, and your point is right. A lot of people came to us and still do because of the mission. You know, they have a calling, sort of like what I mentioned. I mean, they probably had some experiences like that, either a personal experience where there was a role model or mentor or something that happened to them um, where they got some help or figured out that there's, you know, other people need help like they did. And so they want to get involved because of the mission um, and what they you know, trying to help people because that's the thing they should do. And that is great. And that still happens. The one part that really needs to change, and we've made a little bit of progress on this is. We want you to believe in the mission. We want you here for the mission. We also want to pay you as a very skilled, professional person, hmm. and you should be able to make a good living off of working in a nonprofit yeah. um, organization because of the mission. And it couldn't be just because people think you can have a bake sale um, to meet <laughs> your bottom line on the budget um, that we should underpay you. That's that's not good. Sure. And for years, nonprofits have really you know, balance their budget off the backs of their staff, off the backs of us working in the field, hmm. because we've been willing to take less wages than we should because of the mission. And that really is evolving and should. Yeah. That that should not be the circumstance. That yeah. should not be the, the reality there. It should be that they're highly paid professionals that are saving people's lives. And it's great they're involved in this mission and they also should be paid the way they should be. They yeah. should have a living wage.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to take a break. We're talking with Craig Opperman. He's the president and CEO of Looking Glass. We'll be right back. I'm Barbara Dillenbeck, host of KLCC's Oregon Grapevine. Jerry Rust was a Lane County commissioner, founder of the Hodads,
1: and former gubernatorial candidate. He helped save many of the region's iconic covered bridges. I realized early on that we had 25 covered bridges out of the state's 50 and they weren't getting very well taken care of I made that a mission to rescue a few of them Jerry Rust on KLCC's Oregon grapevine at klcc.org
0: and we're back talking with Craig Opperman the president and CEO of Looking Glass well let's talk about Looking Glass talk about the mission talk about what you do talk about you know what services you provide for our community
1: Yes, that's, that's a big question too, but I'll try and be succinct. <laughs> Looking Glass serves all ages. We, we're a behavioral health agency, basically. Um, we serve all ages. So we serve some very young children and we serve some older adults, um, but primarily our focus, and we serve over 8,000 clients, customers a year. But our focus is in our, our real honed expertise is in that 11 to 20 to 24 year old group. So adolescents and young adults is really where our specialty lies, where we try and make sure people know that they can come to us in that age range. Um, And that we've developed a tremendous amount of skill in treating that age group. And of course, we look at it too, as that That's the future. That's what lies ahead. When we help young people, we're we're building our own. We're helping our own future. But we provide comprehensive care for that age group i mentioned so we have outpatient services where which is more of what often people have uh traditionally in their mind where you, you come in and talk to the therapist you know an hour a week or every other week for an hour or two um and then go back and work on something and so we've got that the typical kind of outpatient services and we serve a lot thousands of people in those each um, year and then we also have education programs so we know education is so key especially with young people so we have two uh, actually three schools that are independent schools that uh, you know are their own they they can offer graduate uh they can offer high school graduation or they can offer ged's and we get a lot of students in there who have had some learning challenges that maybe weren't addressed right by the regular school system um, or they just had some behavior problems that made them unable to attend. There's one, we have um, our alternative high school, which is primarily high school kids attending one of these three schools. And I always like to uh, say that we go from zero to 60, hmm. because most everybody in that school was not gonna graduate. They'd either been kicked out or were not able or did not want to attend the other schools they had inv- been involved with. And they come to that school and over 60% of them either graduate with their high school diploma or get their GED. Hmm. So it's a tremendous success educationally on behalf of those young people. And we know that education is so important for the future future success of of these children and families that we're dealing with. Then we also have intensive residential services. Um, So we have young people who are struggling with mental health issues, pretty significant ones, uh, alcohol and drug issues, significant ones. And they literally come and live with us to solve those problems. Mm. So they're in 24-7, 366 with us. Um, they've got round the clock supervision and treatment therapy, you know, recreation programs, all, all kinds of involvement in most every aspect of their life. Our main goal is to always get them back to their family or to a community-based setting. So we also engage, you know, community members, family members a lot in the services with them. Um, But they come in with a lot of uh, very high needs. There is a high acuity in many of those young people. We are the only accredited um, psychiatric residential treatment facility available for youth aged 11 to 18 in Lane County, Hmm. one of the very few in the state. There's only three others in the state left, I think now many of them have closed. Hmm. And those are young people who have significant self-harm, suicidal ideation, suicidal attempt behaviors. Um, They're very harmful to those around them. Um, Very, very high acuity, a lot of dangerous behaviors that they need significant help and intervention to get back on track with. And we serve them very successfully. Uh, and then our last little zone of uh, services is our unhoused homeless youth. Okay. Um, we used to call them runaway youth. Most of them are out there not because they want to run away, but because they have to be for some horrible reason sure. um, where they've not been able to stay where they were because of being hurt, or there's just been some circumstance where they're not able to be housed or in a a family situation where they want to be. And we serve thousands of those young people with comprehensive care for them too. We have a shelter, emergency shelter where they can stay. And then we have outreach services seven days a week, which provides meals and clothing and access to the internet and some therapy if they need it. And a a brief medical or a referral to a medical um, person to help them with medical issues. We have lockers for them, showers um all kinds of services that are kind of safety net services to keep them alive and thriving and on their way and then we have transitional housing too so some of our um, unhoused youth move into transitional housing programs typically they're becoming more independent when they're in that group but we will co-sign for apartments and case manage housing situations for them where they're getting back out on their own um, and either becoming independent or then moving back in with a, a family member or somebody else after they've transitioned out of that. Okay. So kind of every circumstance yeah. um, issue that can come up for a, a 11 to 22-year-old, we've yeah. got a program to address that for them.
0: And it's as I was listening to you talk, I'm thinking, boy, you know, doing all that must be incredibly challenging on any given normal day. What was it like, and especially in that age group where we've heard so many negative impacts from the pandemic how how was it like to be able to try and serve that group when you know the the challenges were you know off the charts
1: it was incredibly difficult and amazing work that we did and i would start again with the staff with the people that work for us, because we had you heard my program description. So we had some programs where literally we had to say, by OHA and the governor's orders, you are not allowed to come into work. You have to work from home um, because we're gonna prevent the spread of this by groups meeting together. And then we had another group of people that we said, you have to come into work no matter what, because we have young people living with us. And so there's no way for us, we can't just close these programs. These are the homes, the, the treatment facility homes for some of these very vulnerable young people. So we had courageous staff, incredible staff on both sides doing amazing work. Folks got really creative on how to do telehealth and therapy online and on the phone. Um, and then we had staff that were very courageous. You know, they, they realized they had to minimize the risk, but literally we're taking some risk by getting into the community, coming into work. Uh, We were experts at infection control. Very Mm. luckily we were already skilled at this because we worked on infection control before the pandemic hit. But you know, we're coming in and we're masking up and gloving up and working on social distancing and hygiene. and, And we added extra filtration systems to all of our facilities. I mean, we did everything we could to mitigate it, but you have to credit the courage of the staff that they were coming in. And again, it goes back to where we started a while ago, Michael. They were mission-driven mm. and they knew just like I said, hey, I've got to go in because there is a dozen kids in that building where I work that live there yeah. and they we don't have a choice we have to go in and take care of them. And not only they're living there, they're traumatized already. And now they have this extra trauma of their family can't visit them as often because of the pandemic, or they can't go to school like they used to because of the pandemic. And so it was an added trauma for them and the staff were amazing. And then I have to keep going on that list and say, our clients, our customers, our people, our citizens that we worked with were amazing. I mean, they, they realized that we were all in this together and we needed to work together as much as we could to mitigate the risk and keep moving ahead and doing the work that we needed to do in order for everybody to keep getting healthier and healing and dealing with the issues that they had before, during, and that were going to be there after the pandemic. Yeah. So in many ways, it was so, so difficult. And overall, I'd say looking back on it, I am just feel a glow of, of incredible affection and reward from looking at what our staff and what the people we work with did and the way they responded to that pandemic.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm thinking this too. Um, it's it's almost like a, a unfortunate byproduct of our society that we tend to uh, focus a lot of whatever you want to call it, media attention, social media attention on when a youth a young adult you know when something really bad happens i e you know the, the incarceration uh the legal system the, you know the the increase uh the, you know the the major increase in homelessness but i wanted to get your kind of thoughts about certainly what you do this idea of early intervention and and how you know maybe that doesn't get the the attention it deserves but obviously you know interdicting, you know, interceding in a young person's life at the right time can save a whole heck of a lot of not just heartache and, and depression, but resources and money and all sorts of things in our society. I want to get your read on that.
1: Absolutely. No, it really, and and everybody needs help. And it's not like I think we shouldn't help, you know, adults sure. that really need it. But, but to prevent the need the number of adults that need later it makes sense to really get further upstream and do everything we can to prevent that that adult from needing help later on and so that's exactly to your point working with youth and young people is really a preventative way of addressing those issues reducing the numbers at the other end and i will say one of the there's often another misnomer too people think of prevention as really young kids or or, you know really young young people. Mm-hmm. And I would tell you that I think there's no better preventative group to work with than teenagers and young adults, because they're the ones I used to joke around about. It, it's like pre prevention, <laughs> because they're the ones that are going to be parents. And so sure. if we can really intervene or help or guide on the path the right way, those young people that are having some trouble... Um, then they're gonna be a better parent. They're gonna make a better decision about when to raise their own children um, and how to raise their own children. And so working, a lot of times, teens and young adults kind of get left out of that prevention thought. And I would say they're the most preventative group to work with. Um, they they really need our resources. They need our help. And they're oftentimes the most difficult to work with yeah. um, because they, they can argue with you like an adult. Um, they, they can really stand up on their own in the way a very young child cannot. And so it, many times it's thankless work. And a lot of times we don't see when we're working with teenagers, an angry teenager, oftentimes for very good reason, an angry teenager. But when we're working with them, a lot of times we don't see the rewards or the results as we're doing that work. Um, but most of the time it comes back later on and we oftentimes will have young people get a hold of us and say you know yeah you were you were my meanest staff but i learned the most from you you know or it was so great that you guys stood by me even when i yelled at you um and so i think that that that, that preventative piece is so important and it's also understand good to understand a prevention on a whole scale it's all of those young people the very young but also the teenagers and the
0: young adults sure sure you know looking glass doesn't exist in isolation. You are here in in Eugene and in Lane County, and there are a lot of other organizations, whether they're other nonprofits, whether they're they're city or county uh, organizations. Talk a little bit about collaboration about working with other organizations because obviously there are other organizations that are trying to serve youth that are trying to serve those that need additional education that those who 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 don't have stable housing talk about the collaborative nature of the work that looking glass and you do
1: yes it's really important and right now one of the the real buzzwords or one of the one of the things that's happening that everybody is talking about and has got a lot of very well-deserved momentum is collective impact. And it's describing what you're saying, where there's a lot of agencies doing work on similar issues out there and that as a collective, they can have a greater impact. Looking Glass was probably a leader in collective impact far before the coin got termed, Hmm. the term got coined Um, (laughs) that, that, um, you know, I mean, when I started here 20 years ago, our outreach teams for unhoused youth had a list that wouldn't fit on a regular sized clipboard. It was actually an extended piece of paper that had all the phone numbers and addresses of all the other agencies that offered services in Lane County. And we would hand those sheets out to the youth we would find out on the street that needed help. And it was part of saying you know hey we've we've got this and here come see us at that Outreach center here here are the resources you can find for everything else too here's other places here's somewhere else that you might might like better than us Hmm. um and so looking glass has been a leader of that way before a lot of people understood the importance of it or under people other agencies got involved in it um so i've really been proud of that aspect of the of what looking glass has done all along. And we've done nothing but increase that. One of the difficulties or what we run into is again, it you know, the nonprofit sector, what will happen is you put you issue a grant request and you are causing a very very competitive process to take place Hmm. because regrettably, there's not enough money out there to give every agency all the money they need for all the services they want to provide. And so we are cast into a constant competitive cycle where uh, a state agency or a private foundation will issue a grant and we have to compete with each other, with other agencies. In order to win that grant, so to speak, and be able to have that funding to support the services we provide, yeah. so that's where we we are really always as collaborative and collegial as we can be. And there's other times where we're going to say, "Hey, we'd be the best one to do this," um, and this is why. Yeah. And we we have to do those kinds of competitions at times too.
0: Sure, sure. Craig, you know my last question as as we close out here is is kind of this. Obviously whether it's the pandemic or just a lot of other issues there tends to be in places like eugene and all up and down the west coast there's there's maybe an element of pessimism about about you know homelessness about problems with our youth uh about um you know problems in terms of education things that are obviously touchstones for your organization i i wanted to ask you kind of and you've already described yourself as, a, a, as a, a, a hopeless optimist, but I mean, you know, what gives you optimism in light of the fact that these challenges, you know, at least from a media perspective, might seem almost too daunting?
1: I think that there is so many more positive stories and successful outcomes then there are negative ones, hmm. but I think you mentioned this earlier, Michael, is that th- those aren't the ones that you'll see in the newspaper, and understandably so. Sure. I mean, well. the you know the people are, they've, there's been a lot of efforts to have you know just good news newspapers and and some efforts like that that usually have failed,
0: sure. um,
1: and and that's somewhat understandable. But if you look if you look across the whole scope of what's happening, and you obviously see the problems and want to recognize and address those, but also see the positive outcomes and the good things that are happening too. There's far more good that's going on than there is bad, it seems in my vision. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the the difficulties or the things we call bad um, oftentimes have a good outcome when you get the right circumstances around those situations. Um, I do think that in terms of the unhoused situation and some of those issues, one of the things the, the difficulty is that there's definitely a housing issue for sure. There's also a tremendous mental health issue. Mm. And to just provide housing is great. And I'm in fear of that. Sure. No, no problem there. But some people really need help to be able to manage a house or to know how to successfully live in a house or navigate the neighborhood that they're in. And so without the mental health supports, um, then just adding housing or just putting housing in is not going to solve it. And I'm very optimistic about this because again, looking back at the pandemic before there's always been such a stigma and oftentimes a misunderstanding about mental health issues and people didn't want to admit if they had them. Um, there was some tendencies at times to look down at people that had mental health challenges. And I think that during COVID, a lot of times when people were locked in their own own uh, building with their own family for a long time, everybody had a more common understanding that, you know, yeah, sure. There's there's mental health issues with everybody. Sure. And it's not just that there's some person, you know, that's really strange or damaged. It's like, wow, there there's a lot of things that could happen to anybody that could cause us to have need for mental health help. And so I think there's a greater social understanding. There's a greater legislative and funder understanding that mental health is all around us and we really need to treat it seriously and treat it with less stigma and get more resources in there to help people that need it.
0: Yeah, well said, well said. Craig Opperman, the president and CEO of Looking Glass Community Services, really appreciate you uh, you talking with us and talking about Looking Glass.
1: Michael, I so appreciate this and I am so happy to be here. I appreciate you and KLCC, great, great stuff. Thank you so much for having me.
0: That was our conversation with Craig Opperman of Looking Glass. Their programs span the diverse fields of behavioral health, alcohol and drug abuse support, basic human services, juvenile justice, and more. This has been the Oregon Rainmakers podcast on KLCC. I'm Michael Dunne, your host. Thanks for listening.